Hello, and welcome to Lessons with Dad. I am here with my daughter, Ruthie. Hi. And today, I am so excited to be talking about the book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. Ruthie, this is one of the first books uh, I wanted to do since we started this podcast and really excited to get into this today. But as you know, in our series here, we started with Intelligence and How to Get It by Richard Nisbet. In that book, we found that we all have the ability to increase our intelligence and substantially. Next, we read Mindset by Carol Dweck, and we learned the power of one simple belief can have on our life, that by believing we can improve on any skill, personality, trade, or part of our life, we can achieve amazing outcomes. And then third, we're going to read Grit by Angela Duckworth. And Angela really provides a roadmap to excellence in anything we want to achieve. She builds on the premise of the first two books and establishes the distinguishing trait of those people that succeed in reaching excellence. So Ruthie, as, as we get into this book titled Grit, let's, let's start with a definition. What do you think grit means? Like not giving up. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Not giving up. Well, I can tell you, uh, I came from a blue collar background and I tri- attribute a great deal of my success in life to hard work and, and very similar to not giving up that hard work is, is what I thought of grit. But Angela has a much more robust definition of grit and we'll get into what that is. Grit is certainly more than just hard work and not giving up, but those are a big part of, of what it is. And when I heard her TED talk, I knew that all my kids needed to hear this message. Uh, I'll post a link to her TED talk if you haven't heard it or not familiar with it. Um, I'll, I'll put it in there so you can all listen. So, Ruthie, let's let's go here. Can you tell us about a time you watched someone that was a master of their craft? Um, maybe like ballet. Yeah. Yeah. I bet think ballet is an excellent example. What, what when you watch them perform, what, what were you thinking of? What, what did you notice about their talent or their skill or what they had achieved? That they make it look easy. Mm. What else? Mm, like it looks like they're not even trying. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And so we have all these different people that are masters of their craft, whether it's in business um, whether it's ballet or ice skating or cooking, these great chefs, an artist, a woodworker, a swimmer, they do. They make it look easy, effortless. It's beautiful. And, and I'll tell you, if I watch someone that's a woodworker or maybe uh, someone doing pottery, <laughs> all these YouTube channels, people are captivated. They, they want to watch and see these people that have this amazing skill. So what do you think, Ruthie, differentiates people that make it to the top of their field? What, what, what is, what are the characteristics or the things that make them rise to the top? Like what got them there? Like, yeah. What what got them there? How did they get to the top? Millions of people in the world. How did someone become the, one of the most uh, prolific ballet dancers, for example? Maybe like more opportunities than more people. Yeah. What else? Talent. Yeah. A lot of people would say talent, right? What else? 
having more money. <laughs> yeah, more money. Sure, the, the opportunity. Uh, maybe they know the right people. Uh, a lot of people point to talent. Well, they become a great baseball player because just look at that natural talent. Or they've got more money. They can afford more lessons. They have access to things others don't. But you didn't list on your list, and I wouldn't have put it on mine. I wouldn't have listed grit. But Angela finds that that is the differentiating factor. We'll go through a lot more. So let's say, Ruthie, and let's. this is where Angela's research started. Let's say you want to predict a person's performance in something like the National Spelling Bee or whether someone would drop out of the U.S. Miller, Military Academy at West Point. These people, to, to get into West Point or the National Spelling Bee, they've had to go through many hurdles just to qualify or get accepted to West Point. So what would you look at once people have qualified for West Point or the National Spelling Bee to determine who would perform the best? Not just who would get there, but now that you're in, you're one of the top spellers in the country, what would you look at? Grades. Ooh, good one. Grades might be a big one, right? Um, maybe they're how they did on an IQ test. Um, talent, how much they like to read, all these different things. Um, and that's exactly where Angela started in her exploration of grit. So to her, one of her first assignments, she went to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point to determine why so many talented students dropped out in the first two months. And you, you have to remember, the U.S. Military Academy, students spend two years preparing just to get accepted to West Point and then to drop out within eight weeks. That just doesn't seem to make sense. So these are all highly skilled men and women who are intelligent, they're athletic, they're leaders. And this happens during a seven-week intensive training program called BEAST. So all these students get there. It's almost like, like the boot camp of going in. Uh, to the army, but this is the military academy. This is the college. And so this, they say this is the most physically and emotionally demanding part of their four years at West Point, And it is designed to help transition cadets to soldiers. So other psychologists, Ruthie, other academics had studied this problem, why people are dropping out during beast, but no one could predict or understand which individuals would drop out. So Here's one thing the, the admission office at West Point had created. They created what they called a whole candidate score. Let's look at what they put into that. It was a weighted average of SAT, high school rank, expert appraisals of leadership and athletic performance. That sounds like a really good list, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. So how do you mm -hmm. think that did at predicting who would make it through BEAST, looking at their SAT, high school, rank, leadership, athletic performance. How do you think that did? Not good. <laughs> yeah, not good. It didn't do well, although they thought it would. They thought all these measurements would give them a really good idea of who would make it and who wouldn't. So in, a, in addition to working with West Point, Angela, you know, went and had interviewed leaders in business, art, academia, medicine, and more uh, to discover, here's what she was looking for. Who are the people at the top of their field? and what makes them special. And if she could find some connection, 
between what made people in different fields that are unrelated on what, what got people to the top of all these different fields, she might really be onto something. So what did you, she'd find that determined who would make it through beast or rise to the top of their profession? Well, before we look at that, let's look at what Angela's journey looks like, how she got here, and then we'll come back to her discoveries. So Ruthie, would it surprise you that Angela was a math teacher in high school? And actually, it may have even been in middle school. Does that surprise you? Yes. Yes, it does. Well, that's what she was. She was an, a math teacher. She saw up close what made students successful in the classroom. It really, this, like I said, this really reminded me of our first two books. But she realized while she was a teacher, some students pick up math concepts more easily than others. So these students would see the underlying pattern or idea. They were quick studies of new math concepts. In a word, these students were talented in math. So how do you think, Ruthie? She saw these kids. They'd come in. They really picked up ideas in math. How do you think the talented kids, how do you think that translated to grades in Angela's classroom in math? Mm, it translated a lot. You'd think it would. Certainly Angela thought it would. But Angela found out quickly that talent for math was very different than excelling in math. And Angela, she writes, she was distracted by talent. In fact, that was such an important point that she learned in a lesson for her. She had been distracted by talent. She has an entire chapter called Distracted by Talent. Because she found it not only in the classroom, but in everything she studied. So, Ruthie, where have we heard that idea or that concept uh, of distracted by talent? In the mindset book. Yeah. And what did mindset say about talent? Um, that talent doesn't determine how good you are at something. That right. It's just an initial starting point, right? That's exactly Right. I'm glad you were paying attention during that book mindset, because that, that really is what it says. It's just a starting point. So Angela realized that although some people had talent, they weren't performing well. Other people that weren't initially talented did perform well. But what she saw and observed in her classroom is that everyone in her class had mastered any number of, a comp of complicated ideas. And if you have teenage kids, parents, or if you're a teenager, you'll know all of them have mastered TikTok dances. <laughs> TikTok, they can all do these things that I stand there and, and am amazed at what they can do and how fast they do it. Or lyrics to songs. Or if you've watched kids play video games, the hand-eye coordination and the, what they have there. Or basketball statistic. Or social plot lines that are playing out in school every day. They've mastered these things. So she wondered, how could getting an X on one side of an equation in algebra be any harder than mastering a TikTok dance? <laughs> it's not, right? Ruthie's laughing right now. But she, she had to wonder. These kids are obviously very, very intelligent. And so she realized what distinguished top performing math students from others. Zeal and hard work. And this idea was so compelling to Angela 
right? Here she is. She's a math teacher, Ruthie, following her dream. But she decided she needed to leave teaching, go back to school, become a psychologist, and study this topic. And that's just what she did. So a few quotes from the book as we, we go on here, and I think this is really interesting. In 1907, Harvard psychologist William James wrote, the human individual lives usually far within her limits. She possesses powers of various sorts, which she habitually fails to use. She energizes below her maximum and below, behaves below her optimum. Of course, there are limits. Trees don't grow into the sky. What a great quote, right? So <laughs> we all, Ruthie, you, I, your sisters, your mom, we all have powers and we're, we're acting far within our limits. We can go further and further than we think. We may not be able to go grow to the sky, but we can grow further than we think. And that's as true today as it was in 1907. We live far within our limits. So why do we assume that it is our talent rather than our effort that will decide where we end up in the long run? And the answer is, and we covered this in grit, but, or in uh, mindset, but, but Angela really builds on this idea and really uh, quotes a great deal from, uh, from the book mindset, but it's because we love naturals. But human nature is to point to talent or some innate cap capability. If we can't explain how an athlete, musician, or anyone else has done something jaw-droppingly amazing, we're inclined to throw our hands up and say, it's a gift. Nobody can, teach, nobody can teach that. It's because we can't easily see how experience and training can get someone to a level of excellence so beyond the norm. So let's go through a couple more quotes here uh, from the book. And, and she, she quotes Nietzsche, and Nietzsche wrote what, Ruthie? With everything perfect, we do not ask how it came to be. Instead, we rejoice in the present fact as though it came out of the ground by magic. That's right. We think something perfect, it must have been magic. We prefer our excellence fully formed. We prefer mastery to the mundane. So here's what else N Nietzsche said. For if we think of genius as something magical, we are not obligated to compare ourselves and find ourselves lacking. To call someone divine means there is no need to compete. Wow. That's big. What does that say to you, Ruthie? Um, like thinking of people that are better at something in us, that they're smarter than us. Yeah, that if we think they're just so gifted... We don't have to compare ourselves to them because it was a natural gift and then find ourselves lacking, find ourselves that by making talent mythical, we let ourselves off the hook. We're just saying, Hey, I don't need to compare myself to that person because they had some special gift and we could have been that person. We could have had that. And that's exactly what we heard in mindset. So Angela Duckworth takes this idea and builds upon it. So Angela transitioned from teacher to psychologist and she realized in her research that Apparently, it was critically important and not all that easy to keep going after failure. Some, and she quotes, some people are great when things are going well, but they fall apart when they aren't. And so she found in all her research and interviews, she achieves high achievers described in her interviews really stuck it out. And it, here's a great quote. This one guy, he wasn't actually the best writer at the beginning. I mean, we used to read his stories and have a laugh because the writing was so, you know, 
clumsy and melodramatic, but he got better and better. And last year he won a Guggenheim, right? So she's describing someone that started out as a writer, not all that good. Somebody you wouldn't quote with talent and yet comes to the highest level of their craft. So she found the highly accomplished were dogged in their pursuits. For most, there was no realistic expectation of ever catching up to their ambitions. So they set the bar high for themselves, not someone else, not their parents, not their friends, not their coaches. They set the bar high for themselves in their own eyes. They were never good enough. And yet in some very real sense, they were satisfied with being unsatisfied. They were, she's saying here, Ruthie, they were satisfied with not being where they were yet. And it was the process and the effort, uh, that got them there that they found um, satisfaction in. Even if some of the things they had to do were boring or frustrating or even painful, they wouldn't dream of giving up. Their passion was enduring. So when met with a challenge and fail, Ruthie, do you give up or do you keep going until you succeed? Keep going until you succeed. That's right. I hope so. And again, there are all different aspects of this in life. Maybe some are social, some are professional, some are with a sport, some are with a musical instrument. We don't always do it in everything, but you'll find the grit paragons that that continuing in the face of failure is a big thing. Grit paragons, paragons had a never give up attitude, a hang in their posture towards challenge. And some, no matter the domain, Angela found that highly successful people had a kind of ferocious determination that played out in two ways. And here are the two ways, Ruthie. Number one, these exemplars of grit were unusually resistant and hardworking. I'm saying not res- unusually resilient and hardworking. That's number one. Number two, they knew in a deep way what they wanted. They not only had determination, they had direction. All right. It was this combination, and she calls those two things, one passion, the other perseverance that made the high achievers special. They were able to maintain this level of focus to obtain long-term goals. So we're not talking about a few weeks or a month. This, this grit, you know, was, was about long-term goals. And in one word, that's what she defines as grit. So Ruthie, as we continue here, Angela found that grit is the difference on the path to excellence. So do you think grit is something that's measurable, Ruthie? Yes. Yes. Well, come to find out it is. But but if so, what, what would you measure with grit? How, how would you measure that? Like how you deal with failure. Mm, that's a great idea. What else might you, might you want to measure? Um... I really know what else. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I think you'd mentioned earlier when we were talking about maybe how hardworking someone is, and, and that's a good thing as well. But but there's a lot. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't even know where to get started. But Angela used her research and developed a grit scale. These are questions aimed at measuring two things. One, passion, and two, perseverance. Both of your comments, Ruthie, were on perseverance. I would have never gotten to the passion side. I, I don't, maybe I would have, right? I mean, if you study something long enough, but very insightful by Angela and her team. So let's go back and take this idea in the grit scale that she developed. And let's go back to West Point and Beast. So 
Do you think when you compare the grit scale and if you tested all these people that were at West Point and you compared it to the, if you remember the total candidate score, SAT, high school rank, expert appraisals of leadership, do you think, how closely do you think they ranked the people? Do you think they were pretty similar in how they, people would score on one and the other? No. Now you think they're different? Hmm. It's insightful. I would have thought they might be pretty similar. Uh, it turns out there was no relationship between the two, none whatsoever. So you're right, Ruthie. Essentially, Angela found the grit was not correlated to talent. If we call the, the total candidate score, maybe a talent score, right? Not, not related whatsoever. So how do you think the grit scale worked to predict who would make it through beast? Do you think she was the first one to be able to solve that riddle? Yes, she was. And it's amazing. All these people had tried. The school was baffled. They couldn't understand what was happening or causing students to drop out. So for two years, Angela went, tested uh, the new students at the school at West Point, and she was able to accurately predict who would complete BEAST. Essentially, according to the total candidate score, the stayers and leavers were indistinguishable. You couldn't tell the difference according to the candidate score. If you looked at them, this person should have stayed or this person didn't, right? You couldn't tell. You could not tell them apart. The difference was grit. On the grit scores, you could absolutely see the difference. Who was going to stay and make it through Beast and who wouldn't. What's really interesting is for those who made it through Beast, Ruthie, once you made it through Beast, the total candidate score was an excellent predictor of performance of academic, military, and fitness performance. So it wasn't that the total candidate score was useless. It just didn't tell you who was going to make it through the tough times, the real challenges that they faced. The grit score could, and we'll find out exactly what that means as we go forward. So Ruthie, that's that kind of wraps up our first episode, an introduction to Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit. So what have we learned in our first episode, Ruthie? Grit is consistently shown across multiple domains to be the critical factor for achieving excellence. Great. And number two, what did we learn? Passion and perseverance are the critical elements of grit. Excellent. And number three? Grit is measurable. That's right. Surprisingly, it is. And and Angela and her team did a great way of teasing out what the elements are, passion and perseverance, and then how to measure measure it. And so next episode, we're going to break down the elements of grit. We're going to talk about how we develop and grow these skills. We'll look at the grit score and the test. And next episode, we'll post that in our notes so everyone uh, can go take the grits test on their own. But here's an important point, and this really builds on mindset. Just like we talked about in mindset, grit can be learned and grown. It's not static. And so have a growth mindset towards grit. Just because you may or may not be a gritty person, or maybe you're real gritty about one thing, but there's another part of your life where you just, you can't see it through and get through the challenges um, that you're faced with. You can grow and learn how to be gritty. And we'll talk about all those things. So Excited to uh, to wrap up. Any thoughts or comments about grit before we wrap up here today, Ruthie? Nope. Listen, thanks for joining and have a great week.